Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. We always appreciate the listens. I am your host, Dr. Joshua Black, and I'm going solo today. Sean couldn't be here, and neither could Jade. Today we have on Heike Mertens, who is an author, blogger, and speaker. She is the author of Grief Is, Thoughts on Loss, Struggle, and New Beginnings, which chronicles her journey through the bizarre, frustrating, and at times humorous world of incomprehensible loss. Following the death of her brother and husband, Heike began to document the process of loss, emotions, healing that accompanies the momentous life change. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Joshua. We sort of met a little while back ago. And so when there's a lot of people around, it's hard to sort of really get into our journey. So it's nice to be able to, for you to come on here and we can talk a little further about your multiple losses. I know you've had some dreams too. And then also this book that you wrote all about it. So the first thing I have is, you know, when looking at the loss of your brother, what was your relationship like with him as a kid and as you grew up? My brother was older. He was nine years older than I was. Big gap happens. And he was always, of course, needless to say, the big brother, you know, the mentor, the one who was constantly kind of educating you and, and teaching you things that went on, you know, in the moments when, you know, I wasn't being the bratty younger sister and bothering him too much. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was kind of in our family, sometimes the star and, you know, that's of course, you know, create sibling things regardless. And it was a good, it was a different relationship, I think because of the nine years, but you know, family is family if you're lucky and everybody always had everybody else's back. And whenever we were together, it was always a really, really good time. So yeah, so that's how it was when we grew up. And then, then as we became adults, everybody got busy. and uh, But everybody was still close in a different way. You know, I think there is that point where even if you're not spending a lot of time together, you just pick up from where you left off. That's yeah. true. It's so true. And so what happened then for him to die? And what age was it? Mm, he had kidney cancer. And uh, we thought it was going to be a really straightforward kind of thing. Uh, kidney cancer can be one of those better cancers. Uh, unfortunately, it was a very aggressive form. And uh, he was diagnosed when he was 54 and he died 18 months later at 56. So that was, you know, a, a big, you know, when you're in your, in your 50s, you're at that point in your life where everything seems to be coming together and being smoother in many ways. And so this was kind of like a huge, unexpected 
uh, surprise and shock, you know, plus as we tell ourselves all kinds of stories like cancer doesn't run in our family. How can this be? And, and it was cancer. So, so that's kind of how that went down very quickly. And he was pretty ill the whole 18 months. So that was hard too. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? See, like hearing the news that his cancer was there and then did you visit him? Like, how did that go? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was one of his uh, support people, one of his uh, care. I, I, you know, I hesitate to say caregivers because he was pretty. Well, yes and no. You know, he he was he was uh, he was he was quite ill, but he was <laughs> he had a great deal of determination, my brother, and a fabulous attitude. And you know, he whereas some people are are you know bedridden towards the end of their lives, he was still walking and moving around up until the last week of his life. <laughs> they were kind of surprised by that. But that's that's kind of how he was. On the other hand, you know, as so often happens, there are complications and things to look for. And so he really couldn't be on his own for, for very long. So, you know, you'd be hanging out in a space and maybe making meals or, you know, running errands, that kind of thing. So so the nice piece was that we did get to spend a, a fair bit amount of time together in those last 18 months. Yeah. So, so that was, that was a gift in itself, even though, you know, the circumstances were not fabulous. Did so you was, find, did you find it difficult sitting with the reality of what was and what, what's going to happen? Uh, I think, you know, you can't just one of those funny things because it, it goes, you never really know exactly how it's going to go. You know, I remember an oncologist saying to me, uh, sometimes the people we think who are going to make it don't and the people who we think aren't going to make it do. <laughs> and and when you live in that space, I think you very much live very much in the moment and you're kind of focused on what you can do and, and you're in treatment. You know, he was uh, in treatment and it wasn't until the beginning of January when he'd gone back and they said that the cancer had uh, metastasized and they'd given him all the best drugs that they could. And he made the decision that he wasn't going to continue on. And, uh, and they said it could be, you know, six weeks, six days, uh, no, six weeks, six days, six months. They didn't know. And this was very aggressive and he was gone within two weeks. And uh, look, I've lost track of the question. What was the question, Joshua? <laughs> <laughs> You've answered it. So the next question. Oh, did I? Good. <laughs> yeah, you did. You're good. Yeah. So the next question is, so when he did die, you know, how did, what was your reaction? What did, were you a part of anything when it came to the funeral? I'm really curious. Um, I was there for the last week of his life, as was my sister, who was also one of these, you know, caregivers, kind of that came in and out, and his wife. There, there were memorials. My, my sister, my brother lived in New York City, so his wife planned these things, and and so we flew down for that, and and I and I suppose you know we we, we were part in in the dying process. The planning process that went on afterwards, no, you know, she did that with some of their friends and they put that together. It's a very nice memorial is what nice. they did. So, yeah. And so what was the, your grief like afterwards? Because you, you wrote a that, book on it. So I'm, I'm guessing it's a good question to ask you because there must have been some things that surprised you if you wanted to write about it. Oh my God, there was everything that surprised me. You know, I'd say the whole thing started with, uh, we had a, there was a wonderful hospice doctor in New York and he took me aside. You know, I had said to him, you know, we don't really know what's going on here. You know, what do you, what do you think? 
And uh, I said, you know, I'm here right now, but my sister's in Toronto. We're flying in. We're doing support work. And he said, he won't be here in another week. So that was kind of like, oh, okay. So now we've gone from the unknown really to the known. And then he followed that up by saying, are you affiliated with hospice back home? And I said, well, no. <laughs> you know, why would I be in my mind be affiliated with hospice up there? And he said, when you go back, he said, you should contact hospice because you're going to need some support. And I was like, what? You know, because we always think fairly rationally that, you know, we've got this under control and this is, you know, easy peasy kind of stuff. And we just move on to the next piece and life maybe goes back to the way it was minus this other chunk. Um, So I was surprised that he said that. But when I got back, you know, especially because if you've ever watched somebody die, it's a very uh, difficult process to witness. And um, some people say it's traumatic. I think for it is. For many people, I would think it's quite traumatic. And so when I got back, I did need to reach out to hospice and, and do that piece. The other piece, which I talk about, is uh, uh, when you say, how is your grief? What, what happened was I came back, and eight days later, my husband became ill. And three weeks after my brother died, we found out that he had an operable brain tumor. <laughs> so um, there wasn't really a huge uh, opportunity to grieve because I was back in the thick of it. And I think what happens in those situations, at least for myself, was that, you know, I was doing some grief work. I had joined a hospice walking group until, you know, my husband was in chemo every day and then I couldn't go because I was driving back and forth to, to, the, uh, to the cancer clinic. And um, so a lot of it came, I think, after my husband died. And that was one of the things, you know, uh, I, one of the reasons that uh, I, I, I wrote the book. You know, some people have said to me, oh, that's considered complicated grief, you know, when it's more than one death like that and everybody who I've spoken to who's had like a major loss in their life kind of you know we get this kind of laugh it's like like yeah this is complicated even though it was only one person so I think when you have a big loss it's always complicated and in my case I just had two back to back you know this was the person who I'd grown up who I thought would always be with me my brother you know because you take those things for granted somehow it just you know the idea of them dying doesn't really enter your mind and then my husband, who, you know, you, I, I plan to, you know, really grow old with. <laughs> so, yeah, right? It was kind of like, whoa, what the heck went down there? And you got no answer. And um, there's a lot of studies, as you well know, uh, that grief is physiological. And that, you know, my brain took a really big hit. My body took a hit. My husband's care was pretty intensive, as anybody who's cared for somebody with a brain tumor can tell you. And to just kind of all of a sudden find yourself in that space, overwhelming seems to be an understatement. I think in the beginning, I think you're just kind of meandering through your home or wherever you are, and you're kind of in a in a in a feel like you're in an ulterior world. <laughs> and and then slowly you start to you know feel all the things that you feel. But it's 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 a process, and it's very disorienting. It's incredibly exhausting. Yeah. And as, as one of my friends said, I never knew I could cry so much. <laughs> and, and that in itself is kind of like, what is going on? And, and that was, you know, I, my background is as a researcher, 
and I've, I've read a lot. I'm a lifelong learner. And, uh, and I kept looking for the solution, you know, or at least some information as to kind of saying what I was going through was kind of not crazy. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel like maybe they're starting to lose their minds at times because you do odd things, you know, like I write in my book, you know, you make coffee and you think you smell it brewing. You're sure you put the water in, you pick it up and it's empty. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, what went down there? And just all these glitches, you know, and I was fortunate enough to find myself in a, in a grief group that was being held through the local uh, funeral home where my husband was cremated that gave me insight that some of this stuff was happening. But there seemed to be a, like a, a glitch or a gap in the literature where it was, uh, you know, they would say things like, you will be very tired, right? But, you know, as, uh, as, as, a, as a friend of mine said to me, when we were talking about exhausted. And he said, I was so exhausted, I had to lie on the floor to talk to people. I couldn't even open my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and he's like, yeah. And then, so all these kind of things go on. And, um, you know, I'm up every day at two in the morning, you know, it's like all these things just keep happening. And, and I just started to document them because I was like trying to make sense of them. And I was like, I don't really understand what's going on, but maybe if I write it out, it will become clearer to me. Uh, the only thing that became clearer in those moments was that this was what was going on. And then what I started doing was I would take one of these uh, wonky kind of things that were ha- was happening to me, which is all part of the grieving process. And I would go to my walking grief group and I would say, have you ever heard of, because I wasn't willing to admit this is happening to me yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? Cause it's like, I don't know if I'm okay or not. Have you ever heard of this? So, and there would always be one person at least within the group who would either have experienced the same thing or something similar and, um, or had heard of it. And that's when I started to realize that all this stuff goes on, but you don't really know goes goes on. You know, the textbooks give you generalities, but don't tell you about the little things that really fit under that umbrella. Like there's a difference between you know, you will be uh, forgetful and coming to a stop sign and sitting there and having to think for a minute, where am I going? Mm. Right? You know, and they go, no, nope, that's perfectly fine. And I'm like, am I okay to drive? They go, yes, it's another part of your brain. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> right? So that was the whole point. Well, one of the big points was to say, this stuff goes on. And if it's happening to you, it's happened to other people. Don't, don't worry about it. And the other piece of it was, I noticed that, you know, and frequently people talk about, you know, grief is like waves, you know, you have up days and down days as you progress through this, you know, from the time of when you've had your time of losses, you start to kind of feel like there's some sort of new order in your life. And you, when you have a bad day, you sometimes feel like, oh, it's so bad right now. This is like the worst. And I wrote the book in three sections, you know, the terrible, awful beginning, the messy middle and the livable non-lasting ending. And the idea being that if you're having a bad day near the beginning, you could skip to the back where it's a little bit more hopeful and go, yeah, it gets, it gets easier. It gets better. Right. But also if you're having a bad day and it's like six months, a year out, you can skip right to the beginning and go, yes, I remember those days and I am not there. <laughs> and then you would feel a little bit better for that reason too. 
So it was kind of like a support piece and that's why I, I put it out there. And that's how, that's the feedback that I've gotten back from people, but that's how they've used it in different ways and that it's been helpful to them for that reason. Well, it's always great when you get feedback from something that's been helpful to people because it is, it's a scary journey. It's not something we typically go on every day. And so it's, it happens in these, these times and we're not taught about the subject in any real way or even dealing with emotions. And as you said, the, the small stuff that makes you question your own sanity isn't really talked about, right? Like, so you have the memory issue. So what does that really mean? And then when you start giving examples, that's when it actually hits people in different ways, like the driving and all that sort of stuff. And I think those are great examples that you gave because a lot of people just may not realize that. I'm really interested in it since, you know, I'm really interested in the sleep section. You mentioned just very vaguely and how you used to wake up at 2 a.m. I, I recently did a uh, workshop with some bereaved individuals on sleep and grief. And I just want to sort of get your your thoughts on your sleeping patterns after the after your husband died. And what did you do to maybe work through those? a wonderful question <laughs> you know I think in that first year you're kind of like on autopilot right um, so you might be trying different strategies but nothing kind of works yeah it's kind of like your body has to I don't know what's going on you know uh, I, I would wake up frequently and uh, and my body would be very tight and very clenched because it was just such a shock that it was still in my body physiologically I would, you know, sometimes try to read, sometimes I would try to do deep breathing, you know, um, meditated on and off for decades, I would try that. But I think there's so much going on in your body and in your brain during those periods that you just have to kind of wait it out, which doesn't help a whole lot. You learn to function on, on not a lot of sleep. Um, there was also a point when I was, you know, I would get to a point in the beginning where I wouldn't you know, sleep for like three days, you know, I just couldn't sleep. I, you know, get, it was almost like it would the minimum amount of sleep I needed in order to wake up. <laughs> and it was no more than three or four hours. And then I would be wide awake. And I suspect some of that was also because of the intensity of the caregiving, because I really was up probably every four hours giving medication, you know, for, I don't even know how long anymore. And so my body had kind of gotten into this rhythm of you got to wake up now, you know, you got to do this. I think, you know, when I look back, I, was, I watched a lot of late night TV. I watched a lot of storage wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched a lot of storage wars because it was like a little brain numbing. You know, it didn't require any thought. Right? It wasn't any. I didn't even. It didn't even really have a story. Right. You know, it's like people go, they buy a locker, you get to see what it is. And, Ooh, it's good. Oh, it's bad. And then you're, you're done. <laughs> and I also ate a great deal of fudgicles during that time. That seemed to be what comforted me. And, and I have said to people, you know what, you do what you need to do to get through right now. You know, if you need comfort, just, just take it where you can, because you are in that time very, very raw. And one of the reasons that I go out and I talk and I write, you know, my widow Wednesdays and whatnot is because, because we don't know how to support or we, because we could better support people who are grieving and the understanding that it's something that's going to be done in like three months, six months or a year 
is very much a false belief because you really have to rewire your whole brain. And if you've been married or in a relationship or it's a brother or sister or whatever it is, that is not something that can be simply rewired in a very short period of time. And if people don't understand that and you don't feel very supported, this is why things like hospice and walking groups are all and counseling is so important because you do need the support in order to make these these changes that will, you know, help you moving forward is that you need to get the comfort wherever you can. Some people exercise a lot. Some people rest a lot. It's different for everybody, but it's really important in those periods of time that you do a lot of self-care is, is, is required. You know, I think you have to cut yourself some slack. We live in a culture which is kind of like, you know, just do it. And sometimes we just really need to rest and take care of ourselves the best way we can. I think it's it's really interesting how you said how when you were a caregiver, your sleep was very interrupted. So you could only get a certain amount. And so you developed a routine. And after they died, that routine stayed on. And I think it's mm-hmm. great to talk about that just because a lot of people think, oh, like I'll, I'll just I'll get back to the way it used to be like right away. But no, like you've already developed a routine and it's the routine that needs to be changed. And it's very difficult to change uh, your sleep cycle and how you've adapted to survive. And so did you take a lot of naps then? Like what was your process to try to get some of the extra time back? Um, I, I, I did take naps. I would let myself sleep in whenever I could. And uh, I did, you know, when I talked, I don't know if I, I said this or not, uh, when I would get to a point where I knew I wasn't sleeping, I had gone to my doctor and she had given me some sleeping pills and uh, I, I took them periodically because not, I, you know, I intentionally didn't take them like every day. You know, a lot of these, this medication is not just addictive, but I also find that it will especially if you're that exhausted that it can have detrimental effects on the rest of your day. It just builds in your system. Hmm. And so you might be sleeping later, but you will feel like you're still asleep for hours, not really fully conscious for hours. Wow. So I think you have to be very careful with those things. But at the same time, it's it's a balancing act, right? Because you need to sleep. And, yeah. and if you've seen a lot of things that you never knew existed, you know, and that's what happens when you are suddenly in this space and people are very ill, you know, and you're dealing with doctors and you're dealing with crises and then you've got maybe kids in the house, right? There is a lot of stuff that, you know, you are flying by the seat of your pants on. And like you said, when it ends or it doesn't really end and, and you need to rest and chances are, you know, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and uh, and she's a healthcare professional and I said I'm sleeping 12 hours like I'd gone through this stretch all of a sudden I was sleeping and she looked at me and I, I said I'm worried something's wrong <laughs> <laughs> and she said you were worried when you weren't sleeping now you're worried when you are sleeping and I, and I go I'm just so tired and she said you know I watched you in those months you know when he was so sick you haven't been sleeping well for, you know, a very long time. I think it's quite all right if you sleep 12 hours, you know, every night for five or six nights. I think your body's really trying to heal and rest, you know, and it just, it needs it. So, so don't start to worry. <laughs> but. Hey, that was great advice to just normalize that because when you're used to a routine, it's, it can scare you when it goes the opposite way. But like, look at us when we're sick. 
what do we want to do? We want to watch Netflix and just sleep because the body's really trying to restore itself. And if you've been minimizing the sleep, it's been wanting to sleep for a long time and it's finally getting the chance to do what it needs to do. So no, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up too. how it just switched very suddenly too, which can be scary for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the process. It's why it's so important. Like the type of research that you were, you were just talking about that we start to normalize this. Right. And that so that less people will be worried. Right. I'm curious, staying on sleep, and since it was uh, your husband that died, was your bedroom a trigger at all? Did you continually to sleep in the bedroom or did you sleep on the couch or other places? I think like, like you know, in the end, our bed was moved to the first floor. Mm. That's not uncommon. You know, you, you create, you know, what they, some people call the sick room or whatever you call it. But um, for logistic reasons, it was uh, better that we moved uh, the bed into the family room. And then a friend of mine came a week after my husband bet, died and took my bed apart and reassembled it for me. So I did go back and sleep in that room. Uh, it, was, it was a comfort, it, actually, for me to be back in that room because we'd had to move out. I think there are a lot of triggers, and they're not always in your home. Absolutely. You know, you, you know I, I hear people, you know, I turned a corner and I saw his shoes and then I was, you know, a puddle on the floor, right? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but triggers are everywhere. So, so I don't want to go too far off topic because you got the question was, you know, did I find that the bedroom was a trigger? It, Josh, in the beginning, everything was a trigger. One of the books I read, you know, I remember laughing at this comment and I wish I, I, I wish I'd written down the title of the book because I've said this often. <laughs> so if somebody remembers it and sends it to me, it'd be great. But this woman had, who had lost her husband said, and after, after she had been smelling her husband's shirts in the closet, and she'd collapsed to the fall to the floor in tears. And she said, and after a suitable amount of time, she picked herself up. And I remember thinking, how do you measure that? <laughs> what is a suitable amount of time? <laughs> and, and that's that's that piece. Triggers happen everywhere. You know, I couldn't walk through the men's section the first Christmas. If I did, I, I'll just be like, <gasps> you know, I couldn't breathe. I'd be ready to cry. You know, you know, I've left groceries in the grocery store because the song comes on that I remember, right? So, you know, you you do those things. And I think you have to give yourself permission to do those things, right? And to go, yeah, this is all part and parcel. It. You know, I've had friends who, would, who wouldn't drive down specific roads. You know, it's like, nope, you know, so-and-so, I took that road, you know, I don't know for how many months to go to the cancer center, and I just couldn't go down that road anymore. And they didn't do it for years. Wow. You know, and then it's like, yeah, I can do it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an odd space. But if we don't have other people to share it with and to say, yeah, this is all part of life, and it really is part of life. I think, you know, anybody after a certain age encounters this on some level. Uh, it would be better if we were a little bit better prepared for it rather than all of us kind of going through it individually. And, and yeah, I just think it would be better as, collectively as well as for the individual. Well, I think that's why you wrote the book. That's why we have podcasts out. And especially now in the pandemic, a lot of people are talking about it and raising awareness on something that we've been trying to raise awareness on for a long time. And it's been difficult. So now I think things are changing in our society, which is great. And more information is coming out to help individuals. 
And so you're just a part of that, which is very beautiful. In your introduction, it's very, I want to sort of mention a lot of times it's about, you know, the sadness or the frustrating aspects of loss, but you mentioned the humorous aspect. So could you talk about what was humorous or what you found humorous? I'm not sure it was in during the beginning of your loss or if you're just looking back at your loss. Well, you know, one of the things, and, and I, I, I read about this in my book is, and I, and I haven't talked about spectacles. <laughs> you know, I would, I would be a little bit glib at times and, and say things like, yep, I'm on the widow's diet. It's called red wine and, and chocolate. And one of my girlfriends went to her doctor and her doctor complained about, you know, her gaining weight. And she said, well, I'm on the widow's diet. <laughs> um, so that was kind of funny. <laughs> and, you know, another thing is, you know, it's when you see the progression in what's happening, you know, and I, I, I still remember, you know, opening my freezer one day and going, man, is it ever dirty in here? Right. And then realizing, oh, I can clean it. Right. But there was a point where, you know, I didn't even see it, you know, I was just mm -hmm. opening, you know, the freezer to take out the fudgicles, right, you know, or opening the freezer to take something else out, or opening the fridge and then thinking, oh, well, I don't know what it is anymore, because now my brain is already wherever it is, like, I might as well have a fudgicle and, and then walking away and go, oh, yeah, now I remember what it was, but now I'm going to eat the fudgicle. And then there was a time where I'd look at it and go, man, it's really dirty. And I would just close it. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far as my brain would go, right? And, uh, and, uh, and then it, the third it, stage was opening and cleaning it. Like I was like, Ooh, this is good. You know? Uh, so that I thought was amusing. <laughs> it is right. What we can perceive in different moments in our life. And you said in the beginning, you didn't even recognize it. Then you recognize it didn't do anything. And then you decide to do something later on. It is kind of funny how we progress. And I think it's great to understand that we can laugh at ourselves and how we're mm -hmm. processing things because it is it's new but we're also learning a lot about ourselves and just being kind to yourself a lot of times is just laughing at you know what we're doing and not judging it mm -hmm. yeah and, and absolutely i think you know being with other people in that process in that time is also very helpful because i think a lot of people who go and seek help really want to feel better and there are those people who are already trying to do things. And because you learn that everybody does it a little bit different, you laugh. You know, it's like, you know, one time we were having a discussion about food and, you know, somebody wasn't eating and somebody else was eating all the time. And one person was like, I can't cook. And uh, another person was like, man, I have like huge amounts of food. Right. <laughs> and, so it's kind of, you're looking around the table, right? You're all going through something similar and you're all having very different reactions, right? And then you just kind of giggle because you realize, wow, isn't this kind of bizarre? <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's human behavior is just funny in general, even when you're not grieving. So, you know, why change that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just... absolutely. I agree. <laughs> so I'm really curious if... You had any, I know you mentioned some dreams prior to the show that you've had. I'm curious to see your reaction on those dreams and if they helped or hindered you along your process. You know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, dreams, you know, in part because this is coming up and I've been listening also to some of your other podcasts, which are, are great. I love listening to the dreams. I like listening overall to conversations, but the dreams are always, you know, that little extra at the end. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, my, my, my dreams changed over time and I thought that's you know one of the things that I did want to just you know briefly mention and that was you know in the beginning you know we have these dreams 
and it would be like Richard was alive and it was all normal and everybody was healthy. And then I would wake up and it'd be quite devastating in the beginning because, of course, that wasn't reality. And so my dreaming life was out of sync with my physical life. Um, and then over time, that changed, you know, where it came to a point where, you know, absolutely, you know, I understood that he was, you know, gone. And there was a point where I even complained to somebody. I said, you know, I'm so tired of these dreams, you know. And they said, would you rather you didn't dream of him? And I said, no, I, I think that in that case, I, I'm very grateful to have these dreams. And now they've shifted again, which is very interesting for me because it's almost like my dream space is like a third space where uh, we still come together. But it's very clear that he's not in the physical world with me. And it's quite all right for him and I to be in this other world. And it's almost like a, a continuation of a conversation in a different way. So, you know, I recently had one where it was like he and I were just kind of looking at our daughter and what she was doing. The way parents do, you know, you sometimes look over at your kids and then you kind of have that moment together. And that was, you know, that's that space that I now, it's now that way, which is great. A lot of the dreams uh, that, I, that I've listened to in your podcast, you know, I, I love the fact that people are generally well and happy in, in their dreams when they're having these dreams with, with uh, their loved ones. I wanted to go in the other direction. I had a really disturbing dream at one point, and that was that uh, I, I was dreaming and I dreamt a different version of the dream for like two nights in a row, and it was about... Uh, him and I coming together and he felt like I had left him in one of the old houses that we had been in and he'd been wandering and looking for me. And then the next night he was in another house that we had been in and, and, and you know, he'd felt like I had, I'd left him and abandoned him. And I was like, what is going on? And I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a, you know, a healer. And she had said to me, when these things come, you know, just kind of reorient and let him know where you are. And they appeared shortly after I moved cities. Mm. She said, maybe he doesn't realize that you've moved cities. And this is why all of a sudden this is, this is going on. And so that's what I did. And then it was all settled. Right. But it was me consciously being in that moment in the dream where it was like, Okay, I know you're looking for me. This is where I am now, and this is why I'm here. And then it was like, oh, okay. So did you leave the house that you guys were together in and, and left for somewhere else? I did. That would be mm. another day's conversation. <laughs> I, yes, I was there for a couple of years. You know, they always say don't make any big decisions in the first year, which is probably excellent advice. I would almost say maybe for two in some cases. But I grew up in Toronto and my parents, unfortunately, uh, uh, were declining. They started to decline after my brother died and then it just escalated again after my husband died. And so I was driving a lot back and forth between, I was in, in Waterloo at the time, back and forth. And the situation had become such that they really needed more support. And I had hoped that in moving back to Toronto, not only would I be there for whatever time they had, and uh, that I would also give me kind of a, a bit of a fresh start. So yeah, I moved cities, I moved homes, and that was shortly after that that I had that 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 dream. So 
Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great to that you brought that up because it brought in another conversation and it helped people understand how dreams reflect waking life. So mm -hmm. that's one position that the individual told you about is the soul was lost, confused on what happened, where you went, that sort of thing. It's kind of sad and I'm glad you found your way through that with whatever you did. But there's another way of looking at it and it's that it represented your waking life and that you left a part of him, right? You you left and chose and how difficult that must have been. And if you're dreaming about it, it was something that you're still trying to process. And I don't know how much emotion you can process as you're moving and then dealing with something new, a new challenge. Yeah. And so, yeah, very, very difficult to work through that in the place you were. And, and I sort of like see that and I said, oh, wait, wait a second. Like there is, you know, a lot of emotion here that just is unresolved. And it just takes, as you said, like it takes time and takes a lot of work. But I've had, you know, like just talking about this in general, there's other people who have had dreams where they've moved and they're spiritual and they had a dream with an individual says, oh, I know you've moved, right? There was no wandering or abandonment in, in those dreams either. So I always like to look at it in both angles, like for those who are spiritual and even like those, like if this is just sort of the mind, what can we learn about grief through this lens? And, mm -hmm. you know, as you sort of brought it up, it's it's a very difficult process moving. And also there's probably a feeling of, of abandoning something that was very precious to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and, and I think the other thing that, you know, you said and that I talked about a little bit too was, uh, it, it really is a process and, and we need to give ourselves the time and the space to kind of allow our bodies and our brains to do what they need to do so that they can heal. And whether or not it's the, the two combinations, but you're right, you know, it was a very difficult thing, very difficult choice to go. It was the better choice at that moment, right? But I also knew I was moving back into a space where I was going to be doing more caregiving, right? So all those kind of things that you're living through, all that, frequently we don't, we don't culturally create a space for us to process, I don't think, especially when things become, I can't even say that. I, I was going to say when they become complex, but I think when you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, from conversations that I've had with people and it's either an intense relationship and, or it's something that's a very long-term relationship, it is not something that you can just kind of, you know, first of all, move on from. Uh, I, I truly believe this is a piece that has to become part of our life story. And we have to become more comfortable as a culture in, in accepting that piece, that these are things that we'll, we will carry with us the same way we carry other things like becoming parents with us. It, it's just all part and parcel of it. And it, it's not like, I, I truly believed, you know, that I would be out of this grief space within three months. And it was such a surprise and a shock that I wasn't. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm a bit of an overachiever, but I really underestimated. <laughs> and that, that's a big one. You know, I, as you said, you know, different. Yes. And, and you're right. There probably was a component to that. I, I did leave something behind. And, and I had maybe myself felt like I was abandoning it. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, like it's, it's a part of memories. It's a lot of stuff mm -hmm. that a house represents mm -hmm. and you're letting it go. And it almost sure. feels like an abandonment. It's like giving away possessions, you know, like that's it's why we keep home. Of, yeah. And I, I think it's a death of a different, you know, cause it's the family mm -hmm. home. Right. Yeah. And it's like, 
So now you're moving into another phase, right? And and that in itself is, is a different loss, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like, say grief keeps coming because we keep changing. We keep having to move and, and change and develop new skills. And all of that brings up different types of emotions when we get there. And it's like that move is an, a great example of, you know, how it's just another type of loss. You, you could have been per, like, you could have been 10 years after and you move and you would have like that type of dream or those emotions because these objects really mean a lot to us. They do. And the routines that go with them and what they all symbolize, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I'm curious, has your daughter ever dreamt of, your, of her father? Uh, I think she has. Yeah, you know, we feel still, we still feel connected. We all still feel connected. Yeah, I, I had a conversation about a year, a year and a half ago with, with a gentleman who had been widowed, and he came from a science background. And uh, he said that he wondered whether or not it was kind of a form of epigenetics if you went through this, and meaning that a gene was turned on, and all of a sudden you saw things not only a little bit differently, but you felt things a little differently. And in particular, he was talking about feeling the presence of his, his wife who had passed and uh, seeing different things or having different things happen that he was certain that she was involved with. Uh, and that he thought that perhaps this was a form of epigenetics. And I've spoken more action the last year with people about something that's similar and the idea being that when you have a major loss, that it opens you up to the mystery. It, it opens you up to a space that is not just the literal physical space in front of you, but that there is other things that go on beyond. You know, there, there was one story of a gentleman who, when he was, you know, dying and they you know, there's a point where it's almost like they, their body is here, but they're not anymore. And then they kind of resurface. That's the word I use. I, I, other people have used different words. And then they may talk to you for a few minutes, and then they go back to wherever it is they're going. They're still breathing. Their hearts are still working, whatever it is. And in one of these moments, he turned to his wife and said, I can't explain to you where it is I'm going but it's remarkable what I see. And he was a very uh, eloquent person with words to start with. So to have this kind of idea, and she's just a book. It's on my website, and I can't remember what it is, but it's written by a former hospice or palliative care nurse, and she talked about this kind of going back and forth into the world. And I think that if you see these pieces and you have these experiences, that that, changes how you work within the world so even if she's not having physical dreams of her dad and she hasn't mentioned any to me at least not recently i know that she still feels very connected to him in a different way and i've had friends say you know one of my friends who who lost his sister at a very young age said yeah i feel her presence you know, it's like she's like she's there, you know, cheering me on or, um, you know, giving me her guidance or whatever it is. So I don't think you need to necessarily have a dream to have these sense of connection. Oh, of course not. 
they just help. <laughs> they just can really help. <laughs> and, you know, it's a different form of connection too, because you get to sometimes see them, which is, you know, you sometimes it's different than feeling them, right? If someone's mm-hmm. feeling them in waking life, but to actually see them and feel them and sometimes hear their voice, it's like the ultimate whammo. And then also to feel love again, like in that presence of that dream is just mm-hmm. phenomenal for a lot of people. And, you know, that's why that's what the dreams that they really want to have is, is those types. And so I wonder, you know, like if you ask your, your daughter uh, if she's ever had any, because a lot of people do and they just don't share because of many reasons. I won't go into them, but it's just one of those questions that would be good to ask and see what she says. It's an excellent question to ask. And I'm wondering why I never have. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> because we, we talk about a lot of other things. It's not like it would be off limits. And I, I've said to her, you know, I've said, you know, I had a dream about your dad and, you know, he was kind of saying this about you or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. I just want you to know that he's, you know, he's still, he, he's looking at you. Oh, wait, um, no way. Hold on. Let's, let's, let's just say this dream. This sounds like a really good dream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, that, that's kind of what it was. It's, it, you know, in, in that dream that I described earlier, where I said, you know, it's come to a place where this is like the third place in which we meet, right? Yeah. That's what the dream was about. You know, it was like, you know, the two of us were kind of having a conversation off to the side. And, and then on another part of the dream, you know, just physically a little bit down from where we were sitting was, you know, my daughter and my grandson. And, and we were kind of looking over and, you know, having one of those moments of like, yeah, she's doing okay. And yeah, it's good. You know, we're, we're watching over, but, you know, she's in her mid twenties now, remarkable as that is. And, and we kind of went, yeah, you know, she's okay. She's good. So I knew that it wasn't just me and my physical world, but that the two of us were still, and especially him, really you know just keeping an keeping an eye out on her and and feeling that she was doing great and you know proud of everything that she had done wow that's a beautiful parent dream you know like to because the focus is on you a little bit in your relationship but it's also of the family and i think that that is a beautiful moment for me to see because that's something that's unique about losing a husband or a parent within the family structure when someone has one of those types of dreams, it's bringing the family back together, you know? It is. And you know, the timing was really quite remarkable because I didn't realize that she's been struggling. But then we came together a few days after I had this dream and she, you know, we started t- talking and I said, oh, you're really missing your dad. And she said, I'm really missing my dad. And so I was able to say, I just the other day and this is what we, what I saw. Um, I'm really happy that you are able to talk about that and explore that because a lot of people just don't ask the questions and they don't talk about it to their their loved ones. And it can be very beneficial. It may make other people jealous, but that's a risk sometimes you have to take because some of these very beautiful dreams can really help inspire people. And it's not only for the dreamer, but it can be for those other loved ones to hear about it and even take tips and and, and wisdom from the dream to feel loved or to try to work through their own loss. So yeah, I, that's the whole point of the podcast. We're trying to open up conversation and just teach people that it is an important question to ask anyone who's grieving or any, even caretakers too, like, because they have a lot of dreams and they're more or less negative than anything, but to help them be able to sleep better and to understand what their difficulties are. There's so many gems in dreams. And this is just like the first approach to just look at these types of dreams just to give people a sense of how it relates to their waking life and also 
the how different they are from normal dreams. It's that's why like when you talk about sitting in the mystery and how how great that is, these dreams make me sit in the mystery all the time. And most of the dreams people have when it comes to this, it's it's positive in nature, which is very surprising just based on dream research. So that's uh, I think that's a great place to be a part of because that allows you to realize you don't know everything. And you're almost like a kid again because kids sit in the mystery a lot. And just as adults, we think we know how the world is. And we really don't. (laughs) We were told how the world (laughs) is, but we don't really know how the world is. And being in that place of wonder allows you to see the beauty in a lot of things that you missed before. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and yeah, it just opens yourself up to a lot of possibilities. And uh, yeah, and it's, it's just this understanding that there is more than what we're just sitting right here. And that things go on all the time that we either don't know about or that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean that they're not real and that we can't accept it, that, that they are what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more we research, the more we'll, we'll know. But it's crazy. We're going to the moon and stuff, but we don't fully understand even sleep or, or dreams. Like, there's just like, it's so interesting how we keep going externally and we don't really understand even what a human body is and what it does. So there's a lot left to, to learn just in, you know, who we are and what, what form we're and how we sort of deal with deal with our life here. I'm curious, as we're wrapping it, wrapping up the podcast, if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, what would that dream look like? Mm. <clears throat> he did one not too far back, and the woman had said that, you know, she's lost so many friends uh, and or people, and that she would bring them all together in the forest. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you know, that's kind of it, because I know that you asked this question, and I go, doesn't need to be the forest, but I think there isn't, you know, really one particular person. Though I haven't dreamt of my mom, which is kind of interesting because I, I've dreamt of other people, but I haven't dreamt of my mom. So if I had to pick one, it would probably be about my mom. But I would be equally happy just to see all of them together in some sort of situation, you know, interacting and enjoying themselves. And, and I think that kind of does go on on the other end. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm I'm just not privy to it unless, of course, I'm dreaming it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think there is that, that 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 piece of connection. There isn't necessarily an agenda, you know, to it. it isn't like you know we would go and do something or or what it would be. It's just I'm I'm always just now at peace when I dream about people who have passed. Uh, it just kind of reaffirms in me the understanding that they're not really. Uh, they're physically gone, but that the connection continues in a different way and that I'm open to that and that that's, and that I'm very fortunate to know that that's, that I've been given that gift because I didn't know it existed until I guess I started to work into this place of, you know, mystery and the unknown that there are things that are possible that I didn't even know were possible. I think it's interesting that, so you haven't dreamt of your mom yet. She, she, wasn't your, she wasn't in your bio either. So I'm curious when she died. So I had another thing. So my dad died at the end of 2016 and uh, in November. And my mom passed in the beginning of February of 2017. Um, yeah, it is very interesting because I was, you know, love my mom dearly, you know, like, like a lot of people out there. Uh, so I am kind of surprised. 
Oh, now I'll probably dream of her tonight. Uh, who knows? <laughs> that, and that would be a lovely gift that you've given me, Joshua. I I had no, I don't know. You know, sometimes it's we we say and do everything that we need to do maybe together, uh, and and that's maybe why I haven't dreamt of her. I don't I don't really know. I was yeah. I spent a lot of time with her towards the end, and she had dementia. But you know, we still sang songs and. Uh, shared donuts and coffee and, uh, and and had a nice time, right? And, and that's that other piece when we actually spend time with people doing the little things rather than constantly running, maybe that kind of winds up what it is that we're doing. I, I don't know, but, but it is interesting. I think, they, you know, sometimes they just come to you when they come to you. Like you said, I could have moved 10 years later and then had that dream. I had, I, I, I know a woman who dreamt of her husband nine, 10 years after he passed, and uh, it was around the time where she started uh, deciding that she was going to date some someone again, mm. and 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 when she told me, she said, "I used to be really angry and jealous that you had these dreams." <laughs> she said, "And now I've had one." She said, "And I'm not so sure." <laughs> I go, "That's funny." I said, "That's great." She says, "Yeah, it is kind of great." She says, "But it's interesting." I said, "It's interesting that this is the time that it comes." Yeah. So I don't, I don't know why some of us do and some of us don't. You tell me. You're the researcher here. You know, why is it that some of us have the, the, these experiences and some of us just never do? Do you have any idea? Oh, of course. We, we know some stuff. That's the whole point why I did my research is to really help answer those questions for people. And yeah, dream recall is one of the most important factors in that. So the more people who remember dreams in general, the more likely you're going to remember one of these types of dreams. But there's still a lot of mystery in the fact of let's say your recall is the same your recall rates the same after all the different losses why is it one one person not dreaming about your dream about everyone else so and we've had a couple of people on the podcast with that and there's usually something there you know i don't know if everything we still need i need to do more research or we all do need, need to do more research to try to figure out that piece is it still mis- mysterious to me it could be avoidance could be differences in the relationship i don't know right and that's one of those things that still needs to be explored more as we sort of move forward in the topic but it is a interesting question to think about so how do you maintain a bond with her if it's not through dreams with my mom yeah um you know i think rituals i'm a big fan of rituals and uh, and i do things like i i plant certain flowers every year that my mom planted so that that's one of the big ones uh you know i uh, i make her potato salad you know i think that's another thing that we do Let's see. And there are, you know, other things, you know, we, you talked about, we talked earlier about not sleeping and uh, someone gave me this wonderful uh, ritual when I, I was going through a period and it was uh, after everybody had passed and, and it was, I like candles before I go to bed hmm. and I just, you know, uh, thank them for being in my thoughts and being present and, um, and and then I try to go to sleep and I will do that if I, if, you know, it doesn't happen very often that I wake up at two or three in the morning anymore, but it does happen occasionally. And that seems to be kind of like just, you know, being grateful for their presence in whatever form it is and then being able to go back to sleep. So there are different things. Yeah. I think also my mom was a very gentle person and very generous and there were different things that she did in her life that I have emulated in my own life. And I, I try to keep those pieces uh, in my mind as I go through my day or, you know, as I'm a mom, 
and also, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grandmother now, and uh, my mom was a really good grandmother. And so you, 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 you pull these pieces, and so you stay connected in a different way. You just kind of, in that way, you kind of carry whatever it is that they've given to you into the next space. I like that. No, it's good. And it's just finding another way to sort of remain connected and not to feel distressed. You haven't had a dream, but you just sit in the mystery of, huh, that's interesting. And all the people, right? Like, <laughs> and you just sort of sit in that and, you know, just, and that those are some of the questions that we hope to answer as we move forward. But it doesn't mean you're never going to remember one of these dreams. And it could be that you've had dreams, but you just never remembered them of your mom for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. you know, here we go. Maybe tonight's the night. <laughs> if it is i will let you know <laughs> please, please do. you put a little footnote at the bottom i could judge a better mom to be continued <laughs> i like it all right so as we wrap up the podcast where can people find your book find you in the world okay so i have a website i'm assuming it would be somewhere in your things it's heikamertens.com uh, my blog is on there. Uh, you can subscribe to uh, the blog through, there's a, a link uh, on the website. The book can be found on, you know, in, in, I'm in Toronto, so there's a couple of local bookstores. Book City carries it, and uh, another story carries it. And then other than that, you can find it through Indigo, Amazon in the U.S., Barnes & Noble, and then I know it's available in different places because I've received emails from different parts of the world. So it, it's out there. You just have to go and look for it. Uh, it's called Grief Is, Thoughts on Lots, Struggle, and New Beginning. It was the second title. The first one was, what? This is normal? <laughs> but, uh, and that's, I guess, the premise of the book is just, you know, it's little snippets. There's a second book in the works, and uh, and that's, that's a whole different ballgame. And that's in part the lessons that, you know, I've learned and how I, I live my life differently now than I did when all this began. Yeah, I think that's it. And I'm on Instagram too. And on Facebook, the usual stuff. <laughs> What's your handle on Instagram? I believe it's Heike Author. Okay. Well, I have Instagram. I'm going to look you up and follow you. So th- <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> for coming on the podcast i enjoyed this conversation i learned a lot and it's interesting to just hear about the specific details on what triggers people what makes people laugh how people sort of work through their grief and even that stop sign like i think that just i don't know if i heard that before but you're right there's so many people that probably have had that experience but doesn't come up in conversation when we talk about it unless someone asks or someone else says have you had this experience and i think that's a great place that you're you're bringing to the table is a lot of specific details that people can sort of look at and say, hey, I wonder, you know, I know not everyone has this, but do you have that? And just normalize a lot of these processes that we tend to talk about in general, but not very specific. So I really appreciate you going into detail on some of those. Thank you. Thank you. It's very kind words. I've had a lot of fun. This has been great. And I, I really love the fact that I now get to go and ask my daughter about to see if she has grief dreams <laughs> and, and you know it's one of those things you, you do a lot of this work right and and we're always learning right that's that's the beauty of what you're doing and what i'm doing is it's going to take me to another level right and i yeah and i would like to say too as you go to bed tonight if you go on my website and all the listeners can do that too is there's a grief dreams worksheet on the website. So if you fill that out and just try to incubate a dream, which you know, research has shown 
is possible. But I'm not sure if it's possible for these dreams yet. But if you go on the, the website, fill that out and just think about that dream before bed and just see what happens. I'm curious to see if you get a dream of your mom and if other listeners also can get a dream of their loved one tonight. Okay. Sounds like a good plan. I will try that out. So you never know, right? No. That's you, that's what we're playing with. It's, it's and that's part of that's part of the wonder of this is is it's we're learning as we go. That's the mystery, right? You gotta play in the mystery. That is the mystery and the mystery is such a great place to live in. You just have to get a little used to it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joshua. It's been so great. Well, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed your time and thank you again for coming on. And as we like to wrap up the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you again for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can find our two online courses. So the first one is a grief dreams workshop that I developed, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And the second one is Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth. And this is designed to help you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that is by myself and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one Grief Dreams consulting session with me to discuss your own dreams or if you want to learn more about the topic. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. We have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, and those are Grief Dreams, and the other one is Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group, and on there you can share your dreams and hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform that you listen on. This helps our show come up when people search for Grief Podcasts to listen to. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. And we have three membership levels, $1.50, $7, and $20 a month. So if you want to give, please go there to see what perks we have to offer. This money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes below. We would like to thank all of those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight. Mm -hmm.